Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week by the Brooklyn Joker himself, Nick, back for a third straight week in a guest capacity, although I think we could probably drop the uh, interim from your job title, Nick. Uh, always good to have you. Producer JL, John Luke Shapiro is here as well. And I know I mentioned uh, last week that we might be doing shows a little less frequently in the offseason, but of course... After some uh, earth-shattering news broke on Saturday, we knew we had to come on and, and chat about all that with you, with everyone here. So uh, thanks again for, for listening every week. And uh, JL, Nick, how you guys doing? Has the, let me ask first, before we get to the coaching stuff, I'll, I'll start with you, JL. Has the sting of losing and the end of the season worn off for you yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it hasn't and i laugh because um normally at this point in time of the year at least last year i was gearing up for you know another game against the uh you know carolina hurricanes and uh you know and, and what doesn't help either is that the mets are terrible right now as we record this so normally it would be like a kind of a buffer so to speak, like if the Mets were good, like the Mets were good last year when the when the Rangers got eliminated by Tampa Bay. So it was a nice like transition to kind of go through that. And, and, and it was easier to deal with. But that was in June. It's May. The Mets are terrible. I'm kind of sour. So not really. And I don't think I really get over it until the next year. Not that I'm going to be stewing over it too much. But I mean, this sucks, man. <laughs> How about yourself, Nick? You know, it's funny. I I was kind of at that point. It almost you know it feels like when when the Rangers lose, you go through grief, the the several stages of grief. And I I was almost at acceptance. And then I was watching the Cavs and the Devils tonight, and I got mad all over again because it's you know it, it's one of those things where we all felt it, we all knew it. The the map to a Stanley Cup final appearance was there this year. It was right there. And they blew it. So it's just like, and that to me is the most annoying part is just, it's like, as I'm watching these playoffs, I'm just like, wow, you schmucks. You, you had it and you let go of it. And, and now I have to, I have to sit here and watch the devils get exposed. Like we all knew because Akira Schmidt is not good. Vitek Vanacek is garbage. And, you know, we have to watch these two not really good teams go at it and, knowing that the Rangers could have been in another conference final. It's very annoying. You mentioned Schmidt and Vanacek, but I had to chuckle to myself, obviously recording on Tuesday here, but on Monday night during the Vegas Edmonton game, and I know one of the changes was due to injury, but all four goaltenders played in that game. So Aiden Hill and Laurent Brossois, however you say that. Uh, I think that was pretty good French Canadian. That was well done. That was well done. Uh, and of course, uh, Stuart Skinner, who was then eventually pulled for Jack Campbell and just the slop that is between the pipes for a lot of very good contending teams. I'm not one of these Edmonton haters, especially now. I think Jay Woodcroft on the subject of coaching, uh, is, is, has, has entered into that conversation among the next wave of new, uh, exciting young head coaches who has gotten more out of. Connor McDavid, right? And gotten more out of Leon Dreisaitl and made them a team that actually plays some defense. But uh, the caliber of goaltending in the Stanley Cup playoffs is abysmal right now. And it was bad across the season. I mean, there was a lot more scoring this year across the board, which we all love to see, right? I mean, we all equate that dying era of hockey that preceded the lockout with very little scoring, right? Very low event, low scoring chance, you know, low scoring games, two to one, one, nothing. The dead, dead puck era. bit. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so it's nice to see, you know, some five fours and six fives and all that, but also it coincides with naturally a declining save percentage. Part of that is the, the players are just that good. The skill level is so high and teams are prioritizing that, but man, there's just some garbage between the pipes too. And, and when you have Igor Shesterkin and, and when the path in front of you does not include 
Andre Vasilevsky does not include, you know, Linus Allmark, even though he turned into a bit of a pumpkin this year. You're right, guys. I'm I I I am in the same boat of it's just such a shame that they could not put it together. And now to bring it to Saturday's news uh, and sort of discuss how that all fits in. So uh, I was at a family party at one of the best uh, Irish bars in the world, by the way, Uh, Rory Dolan's pub and restaurant in Yonkers, New York. If you've never been there, even if you're not a drinker, I suggest you check it out. Is it is a landmark, an institution? It is world famous. Folks in Ireland say it's like the place, and they all know people who have gone there and have worked there. Anyway, near and dear to my heart, I, my my family's from very nearby uh, on my mom's side. But I was at a family party at Rory Dolan's. The texts come through from all my friends. I pop on Twitter. I'm with a bunch of Ranger fans, and I have to admit, guys, even through all of the uh stuff that happened in the aftermath of the season i was surprised i had i had gotten myself to come full circle to the conclusion that well there aren't many <coughs> out there and you know you take what gallant has done in totality drury is is you know by some accounts a pretty meticulous and thoughtful guy even though we don't we do know he does have a mercurial emotional side as well but i, I just figured you know and then, of course, our lovely beat writers who, you know, I don't want to name names, but some are very good at their jobs and others are not. But most of them were saying, eh, you know, actually, if the Quinville thing is dead, they probably won't make a change. And lo and behold, Galant gets the axe. So I was actually very surprised. And I think it's taken me about 48 hours for the surprise factor to wear off. And, you know, now, again, back in the context of what's happening in the playoffs now, it's pretty clear why they did this. This was a catastrophic loss for this franchise. It's one of the worst in its history. And the coach has to take a lot of the blame there because of the roster that was assembled. So we'll get into all that. But JL, what was your initial emotion when you heard the news? So I was actually on my way to the Mets game uh, in Queens. My train was late. Thank you, New Jersey Transit. So... When I got on the LIRR, I was just scrolling through Twitter. And right before I lost service, I was on the Blue York Discord. And I think AJ, the guy who makes all the good highlight videos, had shared Larry Brooks's tweet. Brooks had just tweeted it. And so I saw that and I had an audible gasp in the middle of this train. And like you, I was still kind of, you know... I was, I was, you know, looking at what the beat writers said and 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 thinking like, well, you know, with the the the, you know, the Quenville thing basically up in the air at the time, and you know, just things were just kind of still stewing. I was pleasantly surprised at how fast uh, Drury made the move. So as soon as I got service back, I, I, I think I shared the tweet in, into our chat, and I'll say this. You know, you look at you look at the way that the team played, and then you start hearing things like the you know the exit interviews played a big part. You know, Drury's coming out with his statements. You know, thanking Turk and this and that and the fourth, and it really began to dawn upon me basically the same thought that you had that this was really catastrophic because you don't just can't a coach. On a normal circumstance, you don't normally can a coach one year after you make it to the conference final. Really, no. you don't. That's just unorthodox to the degree, but it must have been so bad. And obviously the effort that the team put out, you know, with the lack of structure, and we'll get into all that, you know, with candidates and all that soon. I mean, we've gone over it, you know, a million times. But just with the lack of uh, execution on both sides, as well as just looking at, you know, the way the Devils are playing now against Carolina and really the rest of the league, you could sense that Drury did this out of a sense of we're not going to sit here and waste the talent that we currently have right now, which I think, honestly, I think it's good. And it's really an indictment on Gallant. Obviously, you know, we always talk about the players needing to execute, of course, because in spite of a coach, the players still need to execute. But, you know, you've mentioned this before, and I know Nick has too, and a lot of us in the chat and, and on Twitter too, there was no structure. 
So you can have all the talent in the world, but if there's no structure, it's going to fall apart at a team who is. It's kind of like, and this is going to be a very stupid comparison. Please don't yell at me. It's like having a Lamborghini and not knowing how to drive. It's just kind of sitting in your yard and you're not getting any use out of it, but you're not going to be able to drive it and get your max out of it if you don't get your damn license. So I was I was pretty shocked by it. I'm still kind of shocked by it. But now, you know, with kind of talking it through and, and seeing things for what they are, um, I'm actually excited because, you know, call me a stooge, but I do kind of trust Chris Drury on things. So that's pretty much a long-winded way of saying I'm very excited and I was happy that it happened. I like the Lamborghini comparison. Uh, Nick, how about <laughs> so yourself? so dumb, but I mean, it works. It does. It totally works. I was... So it's, it's very interesting because JL said he, he was the one that dropped it on us. Um, and it was funny. As he did, I had just finished writing how the Rangers can't waste the start of another year with Gallant because I had accepted the fact that, okay, he spoke at breakup day. There's a good chance they'll run it back with him at least to start the year. And for me, that was just a waste. Like you're, you were almost forfeiting – X amount of games by bringing them back next year. So I, I was I was pleasantly surprised, and I, I don't ever root for somebody to lose their job. I think there's only been two coaches in my entire lifetime as a Ranger fan that I've ever actively wanted them to be fired, and that was Elaine Vigneault and David Quinn. Those were the only two guys who I ever was, like, actually happy that they lost their jobs. And so it's not that I, I wanted to see Gallant go. It was just, it wasn't a fit. And you could tell it wasn't a fit and it wasn't working. The relationship, I think, was beyond broken. And I, the, the first thought that really went through my mind when we saw that he got fired was, wow, those exit interviews really must have been bad. Because... For and and then as it comes out, you know that some of the Ranger beat reporters had mentioned the exit interviews kind of sealed the deal on his fate, and that to me is the worst thing, especially for a guy like Gallant, who had a glowing review, and I'm sure you guys remember this from Yarmir Yager before the Rangers hired him. Yeah. Yager praised Gallant for his approach, so. And, and Yager early in his career was a note, you know, everyone wanted to point fingers at him and say he was a coach killer. So the fact that Gallant had Yager's endorsement was something that, like, I think turned all of our heads and was like, okay, this could be a really great move for the franchise. So it was, it was really telling to me that a guy who was a noted players coach had such poor exit interviews from players that it actually cost him his job. And I mean, it really like this season was really a true lost season. And you know, there was a lot of years with with Hendrik Lundqvist that I felt like, wow, this is a really bad you know way to end the season to have such a great goaltender and you just absolutely throw the year aside because you guys don't have the right coach, you don't have the right players, you don't have the right system. This year with Igor might have felt worse than the 14-15 season with Hank because the, the performance that Igor put on in the first round was just incredible. And when you look around the league and you see the substandard goaltending that's going on, it's just like, you guys have that and you pissed it away. It, so it, it's just, it's such a missed opportunity. It was and, you know, look, and we can all say what we want to say and feel how we want to feel about James Dolan, but you know, and we all know, if you have a poor showing as you did there, you're not surviving. So I can't say it was shocking that he was let go, but it was sure as hell deserving. That's a really, really interesting point that you bring up that, that now that you've mentioned it, Nick, I, I do remember it, this sort of endorsement from – Yarmir Yager. I actually think that tells us a lot about Gerard Gallant's coaching style. So he would have coached uh, Yager in Florida, right? Yep. Yager was a much older player at that point. He was in his late 30s, early 40s, and had seen it all. And 
I think a guy like Yarmir Yager, who is such an all-time great, so secure in who he is and how he needs to play, that he just appreciated Gallant being hands-off. And he could handle a hands-off coach like that. And I think the Rangers have proven to be a team that, you know, because they don't have, and, and JL, this is something you've talked about, and maybe you could expand upon it a little bit in a second here. But the Rangers actually don't have a lot of strong personalities in their locker room, right? Whereas Yarmir Yager, incredibly strong personality. I believe that Florida team, I don't have the roster in front of me, but they had some pretty grizzled veterans. And that was right when Barkov was coming up. Trocek was a young player. Huberdo, Huberdo was a young player. But they they had a pretty decent veteran core behind those guys who were holding the young guys accountable, right? I just don't think this, I think this Ranger team, and I tweeted this earlier today, um, it's a, it's a room full of really nice guys who are sensitive and introspective, especially for hockey players, right? By alpha male pro athlete competitor standards that other than Jacob Truba, they really don't have anybody who is looking them in the eye when things get tough and saying, Hey boys, time to wake the fuck up. It just, they don't have that element here. And I think Gallant, needs that element to be a successful coach. Um, now the Vegas thing was a little bit different because that was so much of an us against the world thing. And I also think he lucked into a really good roster that just sort of automatically played a very fast game. The Rangers aren't a overly fast team. They have some fast skaters. They're kind of more of an average to below average team in terms of, you know, overall team speed. So let's put the Vegas thing aside, Florida, definitely more of a, of a, of an apt comparison here. I don't know that they had the personality. So that brings me to, uh, my next point, which is about who Gallant's replacement could potentially be before we get into names. And we did discuss some names on last week's show, but I think they do need a coach who's going to be hands-on. Now that doesn't necessarily mean in a negative way, right? I think David Quinn's issue was he was up there behind to a point where it annoyed everybody, right? It was like, you don't need to yell at me every four seconds in practice. Like we've done the drill a million times. I know where to go. You could tell it war on players. I mean, Ryan Strom literally while Quinn was employed, used the term, used the phrase, we don't need to be micromanaged. He literally said that. Well, Quinn was his boss. Definitely heard it. Right. So clearly there was dissension there among veteran players that he was just too hands on too much up their asses. But I think they do need someone who's got a little bit of a, a teacher's approach, right? Someone who, who will come over to your desk and help you with the math problem if you're not understanding the math problem. Gallant's not that guy. His assistant coaches were really not that style. You know, there, there's not that sort of new school thinker in that coach's room. And I think that was a problem for this Ranger team. I think they needed that. So, but before we get to names, before we get to the kind of style and approach that we think is going to fit this team moving forward, JL, I, I wonder if you could maybe expand a little bit upon this. Again, I know you've brought it up, but just some of the stuff that you've heard about the personalities in the room, because I think that plays a huge part in who the next coach should be. Right. So, you know, I, I, I came upon some information, which I won't reveal how I got it, but it basically kind of confirmed a lot of the stuff that we were kind of, you know, hinting on in terms of the team and in terms of how they react to things. Now, last season with Gallant at the charge, you had a guy like Ryan Reeves in the locker room. And if anyone mm -hmm. knows anything about Ryan Reeves, you want to talk about vibes, he brings it and it it is very infectious. And also the team was a more of a workman's like kind of team last season. And, you know, the, that, one of the things that Ryan Strom also brought to, you know, not the, you know, blast Vinny Trocek by any means whatsoever. Ryan Strom was a pretty personable guy. If you watch a lot of those, mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, the Twitter thing that the Rangers did with like, you know, asking the Ryans or Ryan's going around and Ryan Strom was going around and you could tell he was a pretty affable, you know, likable guy in the clubhouse so much. So Panarin was basically in love with the guy. So you lose that. And again, this is not an indictment on Vinny Trocek because Vinny Trocek seems like a pretty good dude, but Trocek kind of fits in lying along the lines of, you know, Mika and Panarin and some of these other mm -hmm. guys. And they're, 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 like you said, they're very good workman-like style guys who have a ton of skill and will get the work done and will, you know, can get the job done, obviously is evident from last, you know, season's playoff run. But there was nobody in that room outside of Truba that really 
did anything and and and, and you know you could say the same for Goodrow. you know truba was the only one and, and and the person that had mentioned this information to me had said that truba basically got worn out uh trying to you know get the the boys to you know got to wake up the troops you know and also with uh, apparently panarin being very super sensitive and overanalyzes everything very similar to mika Kreider, and fox so with Ryan Reeves not being around and nobody there to replace that kind of, you know, attitude, Gallant's very hands off, you know, figure it out. You're grown men, figure it out. That's basically his mantra, but there was nobody that was there to do that. So uh, another thing that was told to me too, was, is that if they had gotten a guy like an O'Reilly or um, a Garnet Hathaway, that might've been it. Now I made a prediction with uh, our buddy Russell Hartman, who um, we had this conversation right before the deadline, we said that getting guys like O'Reilly and Tarasenko in terms of like a package deal with the Blues would have been wonders for this team because mm -hmm. that would have added the skill and the energy that they needed. And you look back at it now, it definitely would have worked. So there was no emotion in the room. The coach did not bring it. And it just kind of, it just kind of was, and, and, and again, not going to try and, bash on patrick kane here he was also compromised so that didn't necessarily help patrick kane seems like a pretty low-key guy too in most aspects so you know he, basically he's playing with one hip if he was you know maybe healthier he probably would have been a, he you know credit to him and the rangers training staff for getting him out there and actually you know him quasi showing up for the first couple of games but you know there was really nothing you know, you look you like if you look at these teams now, you look at Florida, you look at Carolina, you look at, you know, Edmonton and, and even Vegas, they have guys who are pretty rah rah gonna get in your face kind of thing. You know, even even you could even say Boston, for example. They got a lot of energy guys, just that just the team they just didn't execute. So the Rangers are lacking that, and I think that's gonna be a focal point. It's not an it's not an indictment on the skill. Nobody quit. They just didn't execute. And the disconnect between the coach and him not being active and also being mad at management for giving him what they gave him instead of just trying to do the best that he could. And with the players kind of like just, you know. And the thing is, and this is the last thing I'll say. So you look at Florida. I'm looking at the team right now as we were talking. I looked them up. So the Augers' first year with the Panthers was 14-15. Uh, Gerard Gallant was the head coach. Mike Kelly, assistant coach. Okay, so similar names. So you had Ekblad, Barkov. We also had Jimmy Hayes, God rest his soul. Uh, Vinny Trocek was there as well. You had Yager, Scotty Upshaw, mm -hmm. Sean Thornton. Thornton, Yager, and Upshaw. Those are three guys who are known to be locker room guys. I was say, Sean Thornton is a huge, huge locker room presence. Right, and he did well with the Bruins. In terms of being that, you know, bottom four, bottom six, you know, grinder guy who can score you a bunch of goals, but he was an energy guy to the max. So that's three guys in that locker room who can say, guys, listen up, let's go. Even, you know, they can do that while Gallant can just sit in the back, let the players police themselves. Those teams were very good until they weren't, you know, and again, Gallant runs into the same thing. So again, the, the fears with this team. It's not that the talent isn't there and they didn't necessarily panic, but they didn't panic at the right moment. And they're going to need somebody who can not in, you know, maybe, maybe kind of being like a jerk off wouldn't be ideal, but get a couple of guys who are energy guys. Maybe Brennan Othman can bring it. I'm very high on him. And then just kind of infuse them with the talent and then, kind of spread that talent around to really balance out the team and have a coach who can do that. Someone who is very tactical and can go to the players and say, listen, do this, you know, and not be too overbearing like Quinn was with, uh, you know, with, with, with the team back in the day. The, yeah. The, the word that continues to come to my mind is, as you were describing all that JL, it's just a bit of a vanilla team. A lot of the same personalities, a lot of the same emotional makeups in the room. And again, I think a lot of people confused and conflated a lack of confidence and a lack of clear 
instruction and lack of a clear plan with a lack of effort. I, I don't think this is a type of group that quit. I think they were shell-shocked by how badly they played in game four and game five, and, and they never really recovered. Again, I said this last week and I stand by it. I don't think they played well in game six at all. The Devils almost ran them off the rink, if not for Igor in the first period. That could have been three, four, nothing and curtains. Your season's over on home ice. So, you know, credit to them for rallying and playing an okay second and third. Again, the Devils were killing them in the third period. They got a couple of goals off of counterattacks. You know, they did not dictate play at all in that game. And so they basically went five, four and a half, I'll say, straight games where they were unable to dictate play. I think they were shell-shocked, and I don't think they saw a coach who had an answer. So you had the lack of energy in the room from the players. You had the lack of a plan and adjustments from the coach. And I think an overall tactical approach they knew was deficient, right? They The players know this, too. You know, we look at, especially, you know, uh, guys like Rob Luker, I'll, I'll, I'll dabble in the in some of the advanced, you know, stats and stuff like that, but... When a team is not good five on five, when they're getting outshot badly at even strength, they know it. Like you can feel it. I mean, yeah, I play men's league. Where's the puck? If it's in our end a lot, I know we're not playing well. These guys are pro players. When that's happening to them, they know. And I think they knew as the season was going on, they were getting worse and worse at five on five. And they were leaning more and more on Igor. And they were going the opposite direction that they were going the previous year where the year started like that, but then they kind of turned the tables from February on. So I think they saw it going the wrong direction. They had no answer for it internally. They had no answers coming from the coaching staff. And that's the anatomy of a very disappointing seven game series where you look like, as I said, you're, you're not trying, whereas it's really, you just don't have a plan. Um, So that, that brings us to the question here and and let's, let's spend the rest of the pod talking about this. Uh, Nick, I want you to tell me who you want to coach the team. Right now, and again, you, you look. I brought I brought up Daryl Sutter last week. I pro, I'm already going to go back on that take. I promise. So, uh, and you can do the Mike Francesa thing. You can play the tape for me from the previous week. I'm not going to get on here and say I never said that. Uh, but anyway, at this moment in time, May whatever today is ninth, uh, as we record, you're listening on May 10th or May 11th. Nick, who do you want to be the Ranger coach, and who do you think will be the Ranger coach? I have I have a few different names, and right now, in terms of real you know realistic possibilities, I think my guy is Chris Knobloch. Now, it it it, it, and it's funny because if you would have asked me this on Sunday or Monday, it would definitely not have been Knobloch. Um, as the as the days have gone on, I've looked a little bit more and I've read some more things. It swayed my opinion, but I mean, if all the stars aligned and let's say, for instance, the Rangers get help from the Florida Panthers and the Panthers sweep the Toronto Maple Leafs and the scenario that Larry Brooks put out there today actually plays out where Kyle Dubas goes to Pittsburgh to become the GM, brings Sheldon Keith with him, fires Mike Sullivan. Mike Sullivan's my guy. If, mm-hmm. if, if all those things break correctly, it, you know, but to me right now, Mike Sullivan as Ranger head coach is, um, it's like trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. It's almost impossible. So it, it just in terms of realism, I really, I'm leaning towards Knobloch. I'm leaning towards, because, you know, and we've gone back and forth in, on this in the chat and, you know, how we we've looked at different possibilities and we're like, well, this one comes with, you know, some negative that, you know, this one's a gamble, this one's a gamble. And it really comes down to one thing. Every coach, unless they're given a shot is a gamble, you know, mm-hmm. Scotty Bowman's first, you know, one of his first head coaching jobs was with the St. Louis blues as an expansion team. You think anybody really knew that Scotty Bowman was going to turn into one of the Mount Rushmore hockey coaches in NHL history. You know, when he took that blues job or when he went to Buffalo and, you know, was coaching the French Connection, nobody knew that until, he, you know, in the 90s, he's in Pittsburgh. He's winning back-to-back cups with Mario, and then he goes, you know, or, you know, well, actually, before then, when he's in Montreal, he's winning Stanley Cup after Stanley Cup and then Pittsburgh and then Detroit, and, you know, as it's written. But you never know – what these like do you, no, the St. Louis Blues didn't know that Joel Quinville was going to be one of the winningest head coaches in NHL history when they hired him. But you have to take gambles, 
And right now the Rangers are in a spot where it may not be sexy to say to take a gamble because they really are putting all their eggs in their bath in this one cup or bust basket. But and, and that is part of the Rangers' problem is just organizationally, they're taking a short-sighted approach and not a long view. Yep. So they're, you know, they want to win, but there's no clear roadmap of okay, this is how we're gonna get there. You know, the Tampa Bay Lightning promoting John Cooper, they had the long approach and they said, okay, guy's been with us and every step through our organization, he's won everywhere he's been throughout the organization. He knows these kids because he's coached them at every level. Let's give him a chance. And look what happened. It paid off big time. So I, for me, Knoblock is, is probably the best bet if you want to try and win right now while also developing Alexi Lafreniere still and Capo Capo because so much of our future is tied to those two developing into competent NHLers. So – you know, this is a guy who works with Conor McDavid and Erie, and I'm not giving him credit for Conor McDavid. But there is an art to coaching a great player like that. You have to know what you're doing to be able to get through and relate and let that player do his thing to be successful. So that just coaching McDavid and Erie, that lends to, you know, coaching with Artemi Panarin. So mm-hmm. for me, if it's if, if I have to get my three top three candidates – Knobloch's number one, Andrew Burnett is number two, and Mike Sullivan is number three, only because I don't think Sully, we can, we're actually going to get Sully. Okay, and so in terms of the cup or bust thing, first of all, I totally agree that it's a ridiculous way to operate. It is a ridiculous parameter for uh, or criteria for your head coaching search. It just doesn't make any sense because nothing is guaranteed. You know, of course, winning the Stanley cup should be a huge part of the calculus, right? I think other than when you bring in a guy like David Quinn, knowing he's probably just going to shepherd you through some tough rebuilding years, you're not a contender, right? Uh, They, they would have thought in their best under a best case scenario that Gerard Gallant could win a Stanley cup and he got Vegas to the final. So Every coach that kind of factors into every decision you make. And yet it should not be the overriding factor. And I think what scares me about the Rangers is that they won't give Knobloch a chance because of that reason. And uh, so, so with that in mind, Nick, that's your top three. Just give me one name quickly. Cause then I want to hear from JL. I Knowing think the Rangers, go- who are they going to go? I, with? Yeah. I, I think they're going to try and steal Burnett, I think, because not really? only does it okay. help them, but it, it hurts they, it hurts one of their biggest rivals. Okay. All right, we'll come back to that. JL, how about you? Who do you want on this on, on this fine early mid-spring day, I guess? I guess it's mid-spring at this point, May. Uh, uh, who do you want to be coaching the Rangers be, next give fall? Give it another week. It might be mid-spring. But, <laughs> um, you, you know, Nick... I don't know what kind of technology you have, but you seem to just like, I don't know, pick my brain perfectly for some reason. Um, but instead of, ah, damn, you, you hit it right on the money. I was going to mention an extra guy. I'll mention that afterwards, but ideally for me, the perfect coach or at least not the perfect coach. There's really no perfect coach, but the ideal coach for this team is Mike Sullivan and me being a natural optimist because I am a Mets fan and that's something I've born to do. Uh, I'm, I'm in one, I'm in one of the camp that the Rangers find a way to finagle their way through him. My realistic option is going to be Chris Knobloch. Um, just to add on to the point that was made about, you know, giving coaches a chance, the Colorado Avalanche fired Patrick Waugh in the midst of probably one of the more tumultuous summers the team has ever had because there was just a real big mess with Waugh behind the bench. So they bring in David Bednar uh, from Jared the Colum- – uh, Jared, David. I don't know why I said – you know why I'm thinking David Bednar's because of the, the Pirates pitcher. Sorry. <laughs> I got yeah. baseball in the brain. Jared Bednar, excuse me. Yes, that's, I should know that because I have his name right in front of me. Um <laughs> So they named Bednar coach the Avalanche right after Wah was hired less than a month before training camp. And basically the team kind of floundered because he wasn't able to really control a lot of what was going on because he didn't really get a chance to implement. But once he did, 
the team had a 42 point improvement from the previous season. And even mm-hmm. though they, you know, and he also was able to navigate through the, uh, the Matt Duchesne public trade request. So that says a lot about, you know, guys coming in from the minors who, who have experience in the minors after being assistant coaches and their value. Chris Knobloch, who I will say will probably be the guy more than likely, unless, you know, the Rangers decide to go bold and go after someone out of uh, you know, like Burnett. But I think they're going to hire Knobloch. And with the success that John Cooper had, with the success that Bednar had, you know, winning, you know, winning cups in not only the ECHL, but also the AHL as well. It seems like a lot of the players, just from what I've read, at least down from Hartford or the experience that they had, they like him. And when Chris Knobloch came up in a pinch a couple years ago when David Quinn was here and David Quinn was out with COVID, they seemed to have reacted very well to him. And for a, a, a quote-unquote system that was just a dump and chase, for the time that Knobloch was there, he was very just hands-off in the sense he let the system do the job, he implemented it, and let the players do their thing. And the Rangers had a pretty good like week and a half when he was there. So I, not to say that that's indicative of entire an entire season of progress but that's still very telling you know you listen to some of the players when they talked about Knobloch they liked him the organization seems very high on him so if the Rangers were to go the route of what other teams did is you basically call up a coach like you do a player you know and I think a lot of the lower depth players that the Rangers were certainly looking you know to get production from they can call them up from Hartford and it'll just all be easy in a pinch. And then they're able to get someone to replicate the same system down back in Hartford if Knobloch would have come up. So I think they're going to hire Knobloch. But if I had to pick, again, it would be Mike Sullivan if the Larry Brooks situation plays out, which could be very possible, all things considered. Uh, Andrew Brunette, of course, and um, Chris Knobloch. But one name that I will say is kind of a wild card um, is Peter LaViolette. Do I like that? No. But, you know, if they're, if Chris Drury is really playing on the whole, you know, uh, we need a, you know, even though I, I, it's kind of stupid because Glant was a proven guy and see how that worked out. But if they're really trying to push that narrative of, hey, we're, we want a guy who's proven and James Dolan is chomping at the bit to bring this guy, you know it's going to be Peter LaViolette, you know. So James Dolan, don't mess with the guys let Chris Drury do his job you know he's done a decent job so far in in many aspects but let him do his job here don't don't bring in a guy like Laviolette but something kind of tells me it's like in the back of my head so me personally I think it's going to be Knobloch the surprise will be Laviolette but if I had to pick again it's Sullivan Knobloch and Brunette I'll say this if it's Laviolette that we're we're looking for a new GM in two years along with the new head coach yep I think that's about right yeah. Uh, so I was going to say we have full alignment across all of these names. I don't think one name was said that is outside of my sort of uh, my own thoughts, my own opinions. I will slightly disagree with you, JL, in the sense that I think the move that they're, I think they're going to go with LaViolette. I think it's the safe choice. I think they'll go with this very flawed approach of thinking a he's a quote-unquote presence that commands immediate respect and b he's the only one that's capable of handling a cup or bust situation because he's won one and been to two other finals i think peter laviolette's a good coach i think he's probably systemically tactically a better coach than gerard gallant i i really and again you know i'm not we're not in the room you know uh I'm also, you know, I'm I'm a huge hockey fan. I watch every game. I'm not incredibly tactically astute. I'm trying to learn more. Jack Hahn on Twitter, by the way, great resource for that stuff. Um, somebody who we'd like to have on the show one day. Uh, as a matter of fact, that would be be a good guest to book maybe when the Rangers do bring in a new coach because I've, I've wanted to ask him about the Rangers system because, you know, it's really interesting. I remember him posting last year about how aggressive they were, you know, early uh, or, or in the playoffs how they were overwhelming Tampa with, you know, three, four, five guys in the rush and on the attack at all times. He used that um, Keandre Miller goal uh, in game two, I think it was, to sort of, you know, uh, illustrate it. And it was very much like this kind of 
you know, balls to the wall hockey, right? It was kind of like Carolina, like, hey, all five guys go to the net, everything to the net, goal lines, your finish line kind of thing. And then this year they turned into like this weird conservative team. And it was like, no, we got to like dump and change. This is my thing is that they never had an identity, right? They never had a style. But anyway, that was a, that was tangential. I do think that Laviolette brings a style, brings a structure. I know statistically speaking, because I've seen some charts and some, some chatter on Twitter about it. Laviolette is a proven killer of offense. His teams are decent at controlling play, but it's at the sacrifice of, a high volume of shots and chances. So you're looking at a lot of boring hockey. Now, does that suit Igor Shesterkin, right? Knowing that, hey, if we want to get into a bunch of low scoring games, we'll probably win most of those games with our talent and our power play. And with Igor back there, only asking him to stop 25 shots a night, you know, maybe. Um, But I'm also looking at all the teams in the playoffs that are left right now. I'm looking at the teams that have won cups recently. It's more of an offense first league. We were talking about pretty substandard goal sub substandard goaltending earlier. So uh just to finish up the point on Laviolette, I do think he's who they will hire ultimately. I think they're going to be too scared to try out Knobloch. Here's what I think they should do as it relates to Knobloch. And this is something that I listened uh earlier today to last week's uh Garden Faithful podcast. So shout out to Arthur Staple uh, guest of our show a couple of times previously, Steve Valaket, the, the great show. It's the athletics podcast. Uh, always a fun, fun to listen to, especially when you get unfiltered, uncensored Valaket, uh, in the aftermath of a very disappointing series. He was, he was on fire. Um, one of the things that he mentioned was that hockey has been very reluctant to embrace the modern approach when it comes to coaching, uh, development, you know, both of pros, but also young player development. And he was, you know, kind of drawing comparison to the way his son, who was a baseball pitcher, is coached, where there's all this technology and video, and 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 his son's coach played for the LA Dodgers and was like, oh man, we have all this analytics staff and we have all these resources at our fingertips, and we have individual coaching sessions all the time. And he's like, hockey coaches don't want that. They don't want anybody in the room other than their assistants. It's they really adhere to that old school mentality. This is a sacred place. It's my room. They're very insecure and egocentric. I think if you hire a guy like Chris Knobloch, there's more of a chance that you could break that mold and build a really, really good staff around him, right? So where you think Knobloch might lack in experience, maybe you bring in, like you did with David Quinn, a Jacques Martin type of an assistant, right? To run the defense or run one side of the puck. Valakhet even used the term, like he said, hockey needs offensive coordinators, right? He needs guys who are much more into the X's and O's and game planning around offense because he said... In the playoffs, I saw a Ranger team that that had no plan of attack. Whenever they were coming in with the puck, it was just total freelance hockey. There was there was no uh, there was there was no structure in attack, you know, let alone defensively. So, I think if you hire a guy like Knobloch who is new and and seems like a little bit of a softer personality, there is more of a chance of taking a really uh, thoughtful and different approach. And tailoring a, a an expanded coaching staff and an expanded support operation to this very talented roster. Because, you know, and again, I'm going back on what I said last week because I kind of use the whole Daryl Sutter gets great results and he's an asshole and that's what this team needs. Maybe they don't need an asshole, but they need specific instruction. They, they are crying out to be coached. And Gallant, hands off, was not what they needed. It didn't work. This team needs to be coached. And I think they need to be coached in the right way with a modern approach. And I think the best chance of getting that is probably Knobloch. And then second to that, the other name that you both brought up, which is Andrew Burnett. So, um, you know, look, is it kind of ridiculous that 15 man NBA teams have like 10 assistant coaches? Yeah. It seems kind of ridiculous, but there's a reason for that. You know, am I, am I proposing that the Rangers do the same and have like 10 assistant coaches? Not really that, but again, to, to, to crib from, from what Valaket was saying on that podcast, and you should all go listen to it. You know, why not give the player development guys more access to the team? You know, why not bring the, bring more video coaches in, you know, why not focus a little bit more on offensive skill development? There's just this old school mentality. You do the same drills, you do the same film sessions blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, Gallant, you end up with Gallant saying there before game seven, nope, I'm not going to do anything different. It's just another hockey game. Well, like actually Gerard, no, it's not, you know, and 
you're coaching for your job. You should have known that. I think he probably did know that, but you couldn't get anything more out of your team. And to me, that's a sign of a bad coach. I'm sorry. Like, I know he's really well liked. I'm with you, Nick. I, I don't root for anybody to, to lose their job, but the guy's just not a very good hockey coach, especially uh, in terms of what the Rangers needed to be successful. So um, at the same time, I don't, I don't see them doing it. You know, the more I read and talk to people, they're just not going to go for a guy who's never coached in the NHL before. They are, the narrative at least is this is a cup or bust operation until uh, further notice. And I think that severely hamstrings their ability to actually find a coach that could deliver not just one successful season like Gallant did, but several. So, um, guys, so JL, before we move on, did we get any questions or otherwise? I think we'll start wrapping up here in a bit, but I know we put out the call kind of late. We did not get any questions, but I will I will like to add just one thing about LaViolette. I was reading an article from uh, one of the beat writers and it mentioned that. Uh, Laviolette's offense is very aggressive, high paced. And then I started thinking about Vigneault and, you know, how that kind of turned around as the years went by, you know, he was a little more defensive of Vancouver, but was still very more, was more aggressive than Mark Crawford in that aspect. But then I began to think, you know, about the teams that he coached and, you know, back in the yonder days of 2006, when I was just barely a teenager um, and the Carolina hurricanes won the Stanley cup, that team was very fast. Obviously, they had, you know, Hall of Fame skill on that team with, you know, Rod Brindamore and, you know, uh, I think Ron Francis was, uh, no, he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. But I think he was. Um, hey, young uh, Justin Williams. Justin Williams. That's right. Yeah. Eric, Eric Stahl, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, really good offensive players on that team. And LaViolette did very well with that crew, you know. Um, but then you look at, you know, his Nashville team. And Nashville is kind of like the deathbed for forwards. So that kind of, you know, maybe that kind of paints our thoughts on him killing offense per se. I'm not an expert. Don't take my, my, uh, you know, my, my, my answer for that. I am a two hockey fan. I watch all the time. I try to, I try to analyze offenses as much as I can. So um, I am no expert. Please do not sue me. But I think, if LaViolette can allow this team to just be a little bit more offensive with all the high end skill, I don't see how it would be a bad hire, but if he is an offense killer, then I don't think you do that. But anyways, I, my, my biggest fear with LaViolette is I look at the 11, 12 flyers and that is the biggest warning to me when looking at Peter LaViolette. The, the one thing about Nashville, I will say that Nashville team should have, and would have won the cup if Pecorino wasn't in goal because Rene played like he had money on the Penguins. It was <laughs> it was very very disgusting. That was one of the worst displays of goaltending in a cup final I've ever seen. So I, I almost give him half a pass on that. And I think too in that I think too in that in that cup final Kevin Fiala was out because I think he like broke his leg, or it was Ryan Johansson that broke his leg. One of them was missing. Um. I can't remember. In that, in, in that there was also that missed final. goal call that should have been a goal but got whistled down when the puck was right on the crease. I would have won them that game. So I I, I think Nashville was better. I, I think they deserved a better fate than what they got in that cup final. But that cup final to me is purely on Pepperine. But I the biggest caution tale I, I can say to Ranger fans when looking at Peter Laviolette is the 11-12 Flyers because – they were they had a much better team than how their season ended. They they, they the should, devil. yeah, like they should not have lost to New Jersey. They were a much better team than that. But Laviolette does. I think he's a good look. You don't win uh, as many games as he has in the NHL by accident. So you have to know what you're doing. But I do wonder if his approach is outdated. And my my issue with his hire would just be it is the safe, easy choice. You know, yeah. you, you, sometimes you have sometimes you have to get uncomfortable to win. And you know, for the organization, getting uncomfortable would probably be hiring Chris Knobloch. But you know what? You've gone the retread route. Try something different, and who knows. 
I, I think they have to. And, and again, I think I'm trying to think of, a, of a, and I don't have names, but if you surround Knobloch with, again, some experience and, and, and maybe Gord Murphy sticks around, I know there's some concern there because he had a lot of influence on the defense and he might've been the guy who suggested sending Zach Jones down. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, that's a lot of, you know, hearsay speculation. I, I don't know what Gord Murphy's role was, but I do think find it interesting that he was not fired, right? That he was the one member of Gallant's staff that was kept. So, and they said, hey, look, the next coach gets to decide. Certainly Chris Knobloch's going to get an interview. I mean, look, his team is gearing up for the third round of the playoffs. Now, because of the way the AHL is, it's a huge league and uh, you have to actually win five series. They, they won a best out of three, excuse me, uh, to start their playoff run because they kind of had to go through a play-in round. And then they won a best out of five against Providence. Now Providence was the best team in their division or, or, or yeah, they, they finished first in the division. So um, his, that team is rolling and he's got them playing much better after a really rough start. I mean, they've been pretty good since he took over a few years ago. They haven't been world beaters, but you know, that Russ, that roster is, has been very much in flux and a lot of the Rangers best young players have gone right to the NHL. Right. I mean, you think about Kako never played in the AHL, uh, even Brett Howden, I know he's kind of a punchline now, but he never played in the AHL. Uh, Braden Schneider only played a handful of games in the AHL. Lafreniere has never played. So a lot of teams, you know, have uh, have their prospects play a lot of AHL games, uh, for, especially for those types of teams that win the Calder Cup. So, you know, I, I think he's done a good enough job in totality uh, of in the totality of his coaching career, in addition to what he's done most recently in Hartford that he deserves an interview. And, you know, the other name that's popped up, I know very little about him. I think he's an assistant with the Bruins is Jay Leach. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I would think that, you know, this will be an extensive interview process. Now, if you were, if you recall, they did not interview a lot of candidates when uh, Gallant was hired. I think they only did two or three interviews. So I would hope the, uh, and I would expect that this process would take longer. Uh, and I do think to both your points, you know, again, just to go back to the Sullivan thing, I do think Drury is going to lay in the weeds here a little bit and wait to see if, you know, a final decision is made by Fenway sports group around management and how they want to move forward. Cause you know, as much as I'm pro Chris Knobloch and think he could, he could be a long-term solution here. Um, Sullivan's the dream scenario, right? I mean, he just, he checks all the boxes and you get exactly what you want. You get the experience, you get the cups, you get the presence, you get a little bit of an edge, you get a, a very strict uh, system, but you also get a hell of a hockey coach who has, you know, the ability to manage a, a modern team full of star players. I mean, that, cause that's really where I think even Laviolette misses the mark a little bit. I mean, I know he had Ovechkin in Washington, but this is a star-studded Ranger roster that needs to be coached. And that's the balance Gallant couldn't uh, find. You know, I think he was good for the star-studded aspect because he was hands-off, but he needed to be more hands-on. That's just not his style. So, all right, guys, any final thoughts from you before we wrap up uh, a very coach-centric episode of Life of the Blue Seats here? Well, I'll just summarize with this, basically. Um, so... One of the main reasons why the Rangers are so successful with Elaine Vigneault is not necessarily because Vigneault was this, you know, intense coach or whatever, but the team had just gotten off of grueling seasons with John Tortorella, and it opened up a lot of the skill that was already on the team at the time. So the players that they had they were able to police themselves, you know, like a Nash, a Stepan, a Zuccarello, St. Louis, a Callahan. Those guys knew how to do that. Vigneault is in similar to um, Gallant where he was very hands-off. You began to see the issue with, you know, Vigneault at, towards the end of his tenure when, you know, you had a lot of the young guys coming in and they were just kind of, you know, hands-off and you saw the team kind of mosey around. But that took at least four years at least three or four years, if I remember correctly, to kind of come to fruition. Gerard Gallant, on the other hand, it took him two. And it it says a lot about the coach, and it's a shame that it had to end this way. But like you said, the team needs to be coached, and I really hope that the team does their due diligence. 
you know, this time around, the last time they really didn't have an option. I mean, Gallant was kind of in their laps and you hope that he would, he would bring them to the promised land after, you know, Vegas and all that. But, you know, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, strike three. <laughs> I love the office reference. Um, it, yeah. I, I just... The biggest thing for me going forward in this offseason, besides the head coaching hire, which I think we can all agree, you know, this is right now, this is the biggest head coaching hire that this franchise is going to have for at least the next 10 years. Because if they don't win within the next two to three years, who knows where this goes? Because, you know, you have Igor's extension that'll be ending. You know, who knows if Igor wants to stick around? So you'll this this is truly a, a, a turning point for this franchise. But the, one of the biggest things for me, they need to get more energy guys, more glue guys, more leadership in that locker room. And it's not just from the head coach because it does fall on the players. You know, the one thing about great teams, and and I and I've always been a proponent of this. You know, a lot of people make a big to do about who the captain is. Great teams can get by without a cap, without a guy wearing the C. You know, the, the 13 14 Rangers, for example, got by without the second half of the year without a guy being named captain because it wasn't that there was one singular leader. Everybody on that team was essentially a leader. Yet Hank Gennett, Marty San Luis, Brad Richards, Mark Stahl, uh, you know, just to name a few. I mean, Dominic Moore, Brian Boyle. Though all those guys led in their own way, and and that is the one thing about a team that's so important is not to have one guy who carries the load. You need to have multiple guys who can lead. When it's time to say something, it shouldn't always fall on Jacob Trouba's shoulders to get the guys going. And I and I do think that's something that we saw. It took a toll on him, and that's not his fault, to be honest. Because if you're doing it by yourself, you know, a, a general by himself can't win a war. You need an army of soldiers. The Rangers didn't have that this year, and it got exposed. And, and a part of that was because of the head coach. So there is there is definitely work for Drury here. He needs to go out, get guys who have a voice, who are not afraid to step up and help Jacob Truman lead this team to where it needs to go. And, yeah, definitely, it definitely starts with the head coach. But there's work to be done in that locker room, too, because you saw Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider. If those guys were the leaders that a lot of Ranger fans thought they were, they would have been named captain three years ago. So there, there's definitely work inside that room to be done. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I also think there's some work to be done this summer by the whole team. I think, you know... <laughs> Not to sound like a, a certain person and with a, a work on your game kid type of type of uh, tweet here, but but I, I think Alexi Lafreniere needs to get better in terms of his skating. Kako could add a step as well, although I think he is a hard worker. But you know, there's just last year I would I would not begrudge the team taking some extra time off. They they went through three grueling rounds of the playoffs. That they they really did leave it all on the ice, and they were exhausted by the end of it. Not the case this year. They've got a full off season to recover, and look, that th- there is certain ha- certainly hangover fatigue often from a-, a long run. So it does happen. But this team needs to come out of the gate hot next year, and they need to prove to themselves that they're a contender because they're going to be talked about that way, and that, like they were talked about that way this year, but they never really showed it. You know, they they had very few stretches of regular season where they really really looked like a legitimate Stanley Cup caliber team, and. Um, I just think there was, they were a bit of a rudderless ship all year. And, and just to, you know, I know we're kind of beating the same drum here, but, uh, I couldn't agree more, Nick, there, there is work to be done from a leadership perspective, no doubt, uh, within the room. And I, I think they do need, you know, forget about adding cup experience from a coach, because we know that that's not always repeatable, but there's a reason those Stanley cup teams do add those, those veteran glue guy types that have rings, right? I mean, Pat Maroon is a is a is a funny one because he was obviously, you know, he's just a bit of a caricature of a player. But there's a reason the Lightning went out and got Pat Maroon, um, you know. And there's all sorts of examples of of that type of acquisition being made 
uh, on teams that eventually win championships. So look, the Rangers did it with Barkley Goodrow, but they're probably going to have to, they're going to need a little bit more of it because he's proven to be a bit of a, more of a quiet leader. Um, listen, great stuff, guys. Always a pleasure talking. Uh, thanks everyone, uh, for listening to this week's episode of, of live from the blue seats. And, uh, we'll be back again real soon. Thank you.